let the hogs out. Welcome to Hog Planet, the podcast where we weigh, tag, and grade the various hogs of culture, of politics, of American life. Uh, Sam uh, Lewis joins me. I'm Dan Spaventa. Sam, how are you? Doing just fine. Um, trying to escape the rolling thunderstorms that are ravaging DC this winter, this week, but hanging in. How about you, Dan? There was some problems with my internet, and I think it was related to the thunder or perhaps the fireworks. But we have a guest, so we don't have to, you know, hear about my fireworks uh, theories here. We're joined today on Hog Planet by Sarah Evelyn from Valley for Change, and you can follow Valley for Change on Instagram on Twitter, on Facebook, at Valley for Change. Sarah, how are you today? Hi, I'm doing pretty well. Thank you guys for having me. Now, Sam and I, once we found out about your group, we really wanted to talk to someone from it. So thank you for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate it. We are, you know, like we said, uh, NBOT, Northern Valley, Old Japan alumni who, uh, like many, have issues with certain things about the uh, school district. Yeah. I agree. There's a lot going on with the school district. <laughs> so, Sarah, uh, we wanted to ask specifically, what is Valley for Change and uh, what are you guys trying to do in, in Northern Valley of New Jersey, where we're all from? Um, I don't have our mission statement memorized off the top of our head. If you guys do want to see that, like, word for word, it is posted on our Instagram and our Facebook. Basically, we're a group of, you know, I, I don't want to say students because some of us aren't students anymore. Um, but, you know, a, a group of young people from Northern Valley who just want to see a change in the community from a judicial, political, environmental, and educational standpoint. Yeah, we've, uh, we've talked a lot on the show in the past just about our own personal stories and experiences and how we kind of feel that generally growing up in a white flight suburb really didn't shape us to understand racism. We do have a general theory that, like, a lot of the people who made Northern Valley, which for listeners who don't know, it's about 15, 20 miles outside of New York City in New Jersey. One of the things that really made the place where it is, a lot of the people there, I think, were, it falls into the pattern of what's commonly described as white flight, mostly white, upperly mobile people leaving urban centers, in this case, New York City, uh, and heading out to the suburbs. And a lot of it seems to be predicated on like this fear. I remember growing up hearing a lot every time I went into New York City, even though I have family who lived in the city for most of my life when I was living up in New Jersey, they would all be worried about me and kind of, um, you know, that's, that's where crime happens. That's where black and brown people are. That's where you have to be careful. We're out here to keep you safe. And um, I, I do feel like that attitude has maybe pervaded a lot of the political and racial and different the racial politics of living in North Jersey, specifically in Northern Valley. Um, I have heard it referred to not so affectionately as Christie country in reference to our former governor, Chris Christie. You know, I actually never really thought about that. I just kind of think about the currents, but I could I could definitely see like that being a possibility of how the valley came to be. And I do see it reflecting a lot on the people who, you know, live in and grow up in Northern Valley where they will, you know, they'll hear about other cultures 
through media and you know see themselves as diverse but you know the phrase has been coming up a lot saying that you know we need to get out of the valley bubble like the bubble that we're all trapped in you know just ignorant to the cultures and the actual world around us and that you know the the biggest thing with getting valley for change started in the valley was that a lot of people felt disconnected from the issues that we're trying to bring up. A lot of people felt like it didn't really affect them. They felt like we were already diverse and so they felt like that they weren't being directly affected. So we're just trying to really pop the Northern Valley bubble, that mindset that those, um, whether conscious or subconscious, like racist tendencies and values that the individuals in, in this region have. So I guess we should go into kind of the, the big news story that the Valley for Change group was involved with. Uh, would you mind talking a little bit about your efforts to, your successful effort to have uh, Dan Eller, the community member who's, uh, you know, he was an NVOT alum, two years older than Sam and I, uh, to get him removed from the school board. It started with, um, I believe it was one of our co-presidents, Alana Cooper, receiving or being a part of an email chain. I'm not sure if it was a mass email chain or a private email chain with her and a select few people or if it was a lot of people. Um, you know, her being given this information about Dan Eller, um, the photos linked um, to his Facebook and just, you know, the individual photos. When we saw that, we knew immediately we wanted to do something about it, especially considering that Alana is the head of our education reform. So we just thought, you know, our, our whole plan essentially is to at some point present our reform ideas to the Board of Education. And we were just like, well, how can we expect the Valley to change? How can we expect any of our ideas to get accepted when you know, this man who so openly and unregrettingly did blackface. We were like, we can't have this person be a member of the Board of Education and have this person be the one who speaks on what we're trying to do. And then we just started to question the, um, the morality of all the Board of Education members. You know, there are some members that we do look at and we, even after Dan Eller um, resigning, we look at and we're wondering if we still feel they should be a part of the Board of Education. Um, so after we received that email, we knew immediately what we wanted to do. There was a little bit of clash between us and, you know, the other activist group that is working with OT. Um, multiple petitions started popping up. We all came to the general consensus that we would present the petition created by Valley for Change. You know, within less than than two days i believe it was actually maybe a little bit over 24 hours we ended up getting a thousand signatures um i think it was said within 36 hours we got about a thousand signatures so when we saw that we were like okay everybody agrees with us this is backed so much and 2008 was not a long time ago like we we try to say it was a long time ago but it really was not um you know he was he was he was grown at that point and should have known the difference between what he was doing and you know he he knew consciously that he was doing blackface um our our biggest shock came from not our biggest shock but you know when the battle really started we felt was not with the petition i mean it definitely was with the petition but when the board of ed opened the board for you know everybody to get on this call at once now if 
people don't know, there were about 300 people on that Zoom call. It lasted seven hours, went till, Insane. I think, four in the morning. And does a recording of the call exist, or does it not? Because we, we, we haven't been able to find one. So we know that the call was recorded. Um, we just have no clue where it's posted. I can double check with my team after this and see if they do have any recordings or if they, if they were linked to any recordings. We were receiving texts from friends watching it. Uh, we were recording another episode, but we were getting uh, texts like bombarded for hours and hours of just like quotes from people going into just individual ones. There's so many I had to even think of it. I'm sure uh, Valley for Change was, uh, did you have multiple people on the, on the board of ed call? Oh yes, we were all with each other, you know, um, through the, through group chats, but we were all with each other as the board of ed meeting was happening. We were deciding and picking what we were going to say to not sound repetitive. We wanted to drive home the point that, you know, the multiple points that not just Dan Eller, but Dan Eller is a reflection of what people know from the Valley. Like, like I said, 2008 was not long ago. That was not a long time ago. And the fact that he's on the board of education, or at least he was, you know, that really shows something that really shows the values of the Valley that we're trying to change. Um, and even just the people who spoke on his behalf, that was like, pretty embarrassing. Oh my gosh. It was so embarrassing. I know some of these people. <laughs> the, the fact that I think a board of education member from not some, some council member or something from Northvale came out and said something. A lot of people, um, there was one specific woman who said that, you know, being a Native American is a costume, so blackface should be a costume as well. Like, that is the problem with the mentality people have today, is that Native American people are not costumes as well. Yeah. You know, one bad act does not excuse another bad act. Just because you think one of them's not wrong doesn't mean that it's not wrong. Yeah. Oh, I have it on good authority that uh, someone who called in as an old lady is actually a 30-year-old man who was in Dan Eller's uh, graduating class, so. Oh, Even we then. all believe that. Dan Eller got his friends to hop on the call and defend him because we noticed the first hour of the call was nothing but people defending Dan Eller. Maybe five people defending Dan Eller, then two people not defending him, then five more people defending him. And so that by the time we reached, you know, past 12 a.m., it was a bunch of people telling him, resign, resign, resign. But of course, all of his friends went in the beginning. I did see like p screenshots of like his face just slowly like drooping throughout as he realized that like, oh, this is something I can't just like blow off because I'd assumed because I think Santana, who was the superintendent, was his wrestling coach. I'd assume that he would kind of just get away with this and uh, the school board would just kind of say, you know, whatever. Like, what were you expecting? Like, as you saw the call go a little crazier than you might have expected. Well, in the beginning, we were expecting neutrality. We were expecting neutrality from other board members, which is exactly what I was referring to earlier when I said there are board members that, you know, we still question now. We made it very clear through one of our members, you know, our political director, Danny Markham, basically got on the call and said, we, from not just Dan Eller, but every other board member, you need to, at the end of this call, either condemn his actions or say you're with him so that we know who we can trust. We cannot and we will not accept neutrality. If you're neutral, you're on the side that we don't trust. 
Yeah, I think that's a good uh, idea to have is that the neutral is going to be opposed to you doing change because like we said, it does skew a little conservative. And um, even in, in general with institutions like this, uh, they tend to skew conservative and to protect their own. So I think that is a good place to start at. And I just wanted to back up for the listeners. Um, I think the first statement I saw the value for change, maybe not the first one, but the first one that I noticed for value for change on Dan Eller was on June 30th. And then uh, the meeting we're discussing happened on July 1st after a petition that you circulated, which you mentioned, gained a ton of signatures for people demanding this man be removed from the board. And I just wanted to bring up one criticism that I kept hearing or one defense of Dan Eller that I kept hearing and why, and I wanted to get your take on why this is so wrong because I also believe it's wrong. But there are a lot of people saying like, oh, he was just in high school when he did this. I mean, hasn't he changed since? Do we want to hold this against him uh, and have it ruin his life? Uh, there are so many arguments against that. Firstly, one of, one of the things that I said when this first came out was that if you plan on being a public figure in your life or you plan on being in the public eye or representing an organization, you need to put yourself in a position where your past history cannot be brought up again to ruin what you're trying to go for. So the fact that he, on his own will, did not bring up his blackface, did not try to openly apologize for it in his own will, he had to be forced to do it by other people. Like, no, you, you, I cannot trust you in the position that you're in to be somebody who will take care of me and my family's education. At that point, you can go into a job that doesn't care about your history, to be honest, because you know, you're, you're in a position where people have to trust you and who you are, your integrity, your morals. And, you know, we can't just play it off as a mistake and that, oh, you know, it happened in the past because, you know, your past, I, I don't know if that's how you feel now. I don't know you personally. I don't know what's going on with you. So I, I need somebody who I know has a good slate and that I can trust. Well, you also did bring up how he had worked in the office of Bergen County Sheriff Michael Saudino, who, uh, if anyone doesn't know who he is, just, you know, if you Google his name, it basically is the next thing that comes up is like racist or like uh, offensive comments. He was forced to resign in 2018 because of those racist and homophobic comments. I think we actually covered him previously on this show back in the day. Exactly. And, and the other thing is that they're talking about he was 18, he was young, he didn't know what he was doing. Like, imagine if somebody did that today, like mm. in the school and the school is open, they would possibly be suspended. You know, all this stuff would happen to them, um, possibly lose whatever scholarship they were get going to whatever school they were going to. You know, let's change the perspective to be, you know, something that a lot more people feel like they can relate to where if an 18 year old man hits a girl, this is what I said during the call. If he hits a girl, are you just going to play it off as, Oh, it's a child mistake. He doesn't know what he's doing. Like actions have consequences. And I'm sorry, but no, I'm not sorry. Like if you're remorseful for what you do, then good for you, but don't let it excuse. Don't, don't try to have your remorse, excuse your consequences. The consequences are going to come either way. I was taught that when I was younger, that if I do something bad, I can, I can apologize for it, but I shouldn't expect forgiveness back. You know, the victim doesn't have to forgive you. You apologize because you feel remorseful for what you do and you hope for forgiveness, but forgiveness should not be expected. No, definitely. And um, one thing I wanted to mention for the people who are saying, oh, he was just 18. 
okay, but the photos were publicly available on Facebook. And they were still up. They're still up. So that in itself is like shows how little remorse that he had. I mean, if he, like you said, if he's going to be on the Board of Education, his past is going to be up for scrutiny. And then you got to do the basic due diligence to see what comes up when people search for you on Facebook and stuff like that, because it doesn't seem like you regretted it if it's still up there and you haven't done anything to change that. I, I don't know. It's, it's very obvious that there was, and even in his apology, I, I don't know if you wanted to address his apology later on, but it was. No, you go into I, it right now. It's, uh, it, it, it was bad. Let's just, it was, just it was a horrific apology. It was full of excuses. If you guys did not, um, Notice our most recent post on Valley for Change. We thought Dan Eller's apology for whatever he did was so atrocious that we made a post ourselves telling people how to apologize for what they do. Because if they do something racist, because Dan Eller's apology was not acceptable at all. And the fact that so many white people in the Board of Education call were accepting his apology on the Black community's behalf is just, it's, it's mind-blowing. I just, I could not believe it. His apology was, was very... Just these platitudes about, like, I've learned so much without even I saying, like, what? I have a unique perspective. Like, what <laughs> unique perspective racist? could you possibly what? have? One element that I, I thought was really interesting that uh, was brought up in one of the press releases that Valley for Change did was the fact that it's an indictment of Eller's education and the fact that you know, clearly these schools didn't have a competent uh, anti-racist education at all if he didn't even, you know, didn't even know it was offensive to do with that in 2008. Exactly. I, I mean, I feel like I was taught most of my life, don't do drugs and be tolerant of each other. But it's never a try to understand each other. Let's learn about each other. Let's learn about why these things are bad. Let's learn about why these things are wrong. Like, even with racism, we just kind of learn, oh, it happened in the past, but it's gone now. Like, we can't be teaching people that it's gone now, when it's still very much, you know, prevalent. Like, it's here, it's happening. And that's what I mean by people are stuck in their valley bubble, where they feel like, you know, because they hold one liberal view, they feel like they can't be racist, and they're the definition of a perfect ally. When even a lot of, like, quote, perfect allies think that they're perfect, they are not. Like, they struggle a lot. They don't reach out to the people that they're trying to be allies for and see how they can help them. You know, it's, it's the valley bubble in every aspect for ev everybody, whether you, you see yourself against it or for it, whether you're the bad guy in everybody's eyes or the good guy in everybody's eyes. Everybody has things they need to change and, and grow and do differently because they were taught by this corrupt school system that doesn't teach the right things. Yeah, definitely. So I guess moving forward with this whole thing, uh, we had that that blockbuster Board of Education meeting it went from 8 p.m. to like 3.30 a.m., apparently just hours of this uh, event. And then he did eventually resign. Um, is there, are there any, uh, is there anything you want to speak to about that? Um, like what, how, what was the climate, what, what was the tone like at Valley for Change when you got the news that he was resigning? We were so happy that our efforts, you know, worked. You know, we had, we had a course of action that we were going to take, but we didn't want to have to take if he did not plan on resigning. But, you know, we were very happy to hear that he did resign. 
it was a bittersweetness. We were happy, but we were also disappointed that any of this even had to happen to begin with. Um, that, you know, it took a whole board of ed meeting, so many, so many people speaking on his behalf, so many people speaking against him, you know, just so much happened within the couple of days that all the news came out and everything happened that, you know, his resistance to resigning just was so selfish. Were you surprised yeah, that he, he came around as quickly as he did? Because it seemed like, wasn't it the next morning after the meeting? I was partially surprised and part of me expected it. We had heard before he resigned that he was going to resign publicly. We heard um, through, you know, a source that, oh, he's going to resign. Um, he just didn't make the public statement yet. But we were, we were really hoping that he would resign. Um, you know, it was a 50-50 shot. We were like, we, knowing the Board of Education, we, like, anything could happen. They could totally just ignore us, which they have done in the past when students have come together and said, we want this to happen, and they have just completely disregarded the students' voices. So for us, while it should have been a more so positive outlook as to whether he would resign or not, we were really stuck at a 50-50 because just given the history of the Board of Education, we were so unexpected of what was going to happen. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks like it wasn't even a unanimous vote for the, on the part of the board. The, it, seems, it seems that seven board members out of nine called on Dan Eller to vi voluntarily resign from his position. So not, it was not even a unanimous vote. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, yes. Um, one board of education member specifically who we all, um, you know, we, we've noted her position you know, I, I don't know if I should say her name or not, but, you know, we've noted her position. We just noticed that she was really the only one that was directly defending Dan Eller, saying that she had known him for so long, that, you know, she watched him grow up and all this stuff. Um, so that that's what I mean by it. it was either you're neutral or you stand with him. So now we know who to trust and who to not trust. Yeah, that's crucial to know, definitely. Um, so I guess uh, the next question would be like, what is, what was, what's the aftermath to this been like for Valley for Change? Um, well, we're looking into how the Board of Education is going to operate in the future, you know, who we want on the Board of Education, um, if we want to get anybody from our organization to possibly run. It's a little bit more difficult because it is based on the towns. Closer gets two representatives, Old Japan gets two representatives, every other town gets one. So we have to look into, you know, who could possibly fill the position for Old Japan um, moving forward for future elections. Like, um, I think the terms run every three years for Board of Education members before they have to run again. So we're just looking into who we want, what position, possibly in the future, how things are going to play out moving forward. Well, that's great. Get some of those fossils out of there, right? Um, next question I have for, for you is, what is what is next for Valley for Change in general? What other campaigns are you working on? You seem to be plugged in with the like uprisings in Bergen County. There are so many plans happening for Valley for Change. Um, we're not just you know one group. We are you know an organization with subcommittees. So if something's happening in each committee. Our judicial branch is getting you know more education on you know defunding what that means, how we can do it, um, all that stuff when it comes to applying it to our towns. Um, the education reform, we're working side by side with Old Japan to, you know, get more black education out there, um, more black um, 
authors to be noticed in the English departments, um, you know, sensitivity training for teachers and so on. Um, we have our environmental committee set up. We're getting that rolling. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of plans going on. Our event planning committee is, have, um, is hoping to host a, um, I guess, cultural festival, like a, a black culture festival sometime this month. So, you know, keep an eye out for that. We're just trying to solidify location right now. Um, so a lot's been going on with Valley for Change. We're planning to link to your link tree that you guys have set up um, so the listeners can go into our show notes to find how to stay up to date on what uh, Valley for Change is doing. They do a newsletter. There's there's a whole, like uh, like Sarah's saying, there's a whole lot of stuff. So uh, Dan, do you have any other questions for our guests? Uh, yeah, well, how long has the group been around? Is it, is it a new, newer thing or, uh, you know, was it, is it brand new since the George Floyd, uh, uh, murder? Like what, uh, you know, what's the history of Valley for Change? Oh, how Valley for Change started. It was mostly overnight. It was, I, I don't even know exactly what brought it all to be, but I was sitting in my friend's house one night and, you know, I heard about the George Floyd thing and, and Breonna Taylor and all and everybody else and I was just so you know as a black woman I was so distraught over it I was like that could have been my family that could have been one of my friends like that could have been me that could have been my younger brother so I was just sitting in my room uh, I was sitting in my friend's apartment ranting to him about everything that was happening and um then I get a call from Danny Markham and San O'Donnell um talking to me about the protest that was happening in Closter and how we can get involved and like, you know, the things that we wanted to change. It started with the petition that we wanted to make to um, talk about police reformation. Um, and then when we got to the protest and we started working together, we decided that a vigil should happen. Like right before the protest, we said, you know, we should make a vigil. So then I announced that at the protest, um, people were coming up to me saying, are you guys a group? you know, where can I follow you guys? Where can I get more information as to what's happening? And we were all just so overwhelmed. We were like, okay, let's get organized then. <laughs> so we sat down, um, you know, started getting people involved who we thought would, you know, bring something to the table, who had passion, who had drive, who wanted to be a part of this. And, you know, just, just throwing it out there for anybody who wants to be a part of Valley for Change, um, as long as you're in the Valley, you know, email us or message us on Instagram. We do have recruitment forms that, um, you know, should be filled out. But, you know, our directors of recruitment will, you know, bring you in, bring you to the committee that you should join. Um, and, you know, after, after we started, um, we came up with the name Valley for Change and we were kind of handling tasks one by one, but then we found out everybody had their own individual things that they were more passionate about and, you know, getting done. So that's when we broke off into subcommittees. We came up with titles. I'm chief of staff. Um, we voted and then, everybody just started getting to work and it's just been nonstop work since day one. We're very impressed because uh, one thing about living in Northern Valley and I, you know, I've been since college occasionally I've spent uh, time living there. You know, there is an apathy that sets in, you know, you kind of are in your own little refrigerator house and, you know, forget that you even have a community and that's maybe it's part of being in the suburbs, but uh, we really appreciate the work you all are doing to, I don't know, make it just, just organize and give people a chance to uh, get involved in something that's actually uh, motivated towards racial justice in Northern Valley, which seems like something I, I don't know if I ever would have thought would happen. Just know having grown up there, you know? 
it's not something I really expected either. Um, it w- it's a change that definitely needed to happen. We One thing that we are really proud of is the community support that we're getting. You know, when we were selling um, merch, a lot of people bought. We exceeded $1,000 of purchase merch. You know, just the turnouts at the protest, the amount of support we have, the amount of people who want to get involved, the amount of people who have had a change of heart and said that they wanted to get involved or like have been given this new perspective, all the knowledge that people said they've been gaining, like just the impact that we're having on the community and the community support and their willingness for this change. That was pretty surprising for us. That's great. Well, uh, Dan, unless you have any further questions, uh, I do want to thank you for coming on Hog Planet. To our knowledge, we are your first uh, podcast appearance, so we're very proud to break that to the oh, yeah. um, our uh, wide listenership here. But uh, Again, I just want to say uh, we were super impressed with the work you did to get uh, Dan Eller off of the school board. Again, we hopefully have given the kind of full account of that here, but uh, yes, he... Uh, he did blackface and he actually got punished for it, unlike Justin Trudeau or that guy mm-hmm. from, uh, what was it, Virginia, Sam, the, the governor? Oh, yeah, yeah, governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam. Um, oh, man, even his wife had some awful comment that she made uh, at, during a plantation tour because all the kids in Virginia get, um, get sent to plantations for their field trips, uh, which, you know, talk about how your education can kind of uh, reinforce bad cultural norms from the past. But, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's been a big thing that uh, is very bad. And we're, it's really impressive to see just former students and even current students come together, like you said, kind of spontaneously just organized to uh, make a change. It's, it's really inspiring. Yeah, thank you. I mean, we're also trying to get this change started in other towns. Um, we're going to see if we can get, you know, um, a name started and, you know, everybody similar goals and just having it spread where our aim right now is Bergen County, like as many schools as we can in Bergen County, as many people as we can to just get together, um, to do the four change and, you know, just get that change happening in their community. Great. And we'll link to all the info for Valley for Change in the show notes and Sarah Evelyn, thanks so much for joining us on Hog Planet. Thank you so much for having me. Go to Valley for Change on Instagram or email us. Valley for Change seems like it's going to do big things. Return to your homes. There's nothing to fear. Hog Planet is back. Uh, We just talked to Sarah Evelyn from Valley for Change, and they're doing great work. And that was pretty cool, right, Sam? Uh, They, not single-handedly, but they certainly uh, contributed a lot to this effort to get the blackface school board member, Dan Eller, uh, off of the school board of our old high school. Yeah. Very glad to see that people are starting to give a shit about racism in Northern Valley, where we're from, because uh, based on my experience growing up there, it seemed like an uphill battle, is all I'm going to say. There was a Google Doc circulating just asking people to tell their stories of racism at Northern Valley. Um, you know, the, I can remember teachers being super weird to Korean people. 
Yeah, I did just want to drop one detail that I saw re- on one of their recent posts for Valley for Change. Um, it's, it was mentioning that kids are, MVOT are still calling our South cafeteria South Korea because it's like, you know, supposedly it's where all the Korean students eat as, a, as if it's like racially segregated, which is not, obviously. It's just, that's just some dumb shit that kids were saying when we were there. And I'm sure kids were saying it beforehand. I'm like, this, this is like a two decades long joke, probably. It's just so fucked up how pervasive this is. Yeah, and it's like baked into your experience at the schools, whether you, you know, fucking wanted to or not. And it's how you're educated with just this latent, like, white supremacist institution just kind of guiding your thoughts. Anyway, uh, there's other things going on uh, as well. Uh, I I feel that, you know, the story that never ends, the Jeffrey Epstein saga, maybe he'll be worth a full episode at some point to really dive into his life. But... um, Alan Dershowitz, the uh, famed uh, lawyer, I I believe he's an attorney for Donald Trump now. Uh, He's been acting pretty bizarrely in the last few days, Sam. Uh, Did you see this article he wrote in The Spectator? I absolutely did. And for the listeners, (laughs) the title is... I would like to read the title. The the Ghislaine Maxwell I know. Like every other arrested person, she must be presumed innocent. So... If you're a normal person and you're on the Epstein flight logs the way that one Alan Dershowitz is, then at this point in time, now that Ghislaine has been arrested by the FBI and is expected to name names, uh, you would probably be doing all you could to distance yourself from this person. But you would, Alan Dershowitz has done the exact opposite. He literally, the, like it was like the day or just after that she got arrested, he had this article come out which is literally talking about how well he knows Ghislaine Maxwell. My wife and I were introduced to Ghislaine Maxwell by Sir Evelyn and Lady Lynn Day Rothschild. It's like, is he trying, like, is he trying to like create anti-Semitism? Yeah, no, that was, that was what I was going to say is he's definitely like, He's be, he is the straw man that like anti-Semitic conspiracy theorists would put up as uh, you know representative of all 14 million of us Jews worldwide. So he is pretty pissed about this like Netflix docu series. Um, he 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 thinks that Ghislaine is <laughs> presumed guilty because of the portrayal of her in the Netflix series about Epstein. Now. I haven't now, started it yet, but something tells me that it's not just like a Netflix show that makes people think Ghislaine is guilty. No, and as if he's going to talk about the portrayal of Ghislaine in the Netflix documentary, I have started it, and the portrayal that I've seen so far is survivors, victims of the enterprise that she and Jeffrey Epstein ran together talking about not only how she groomed and recruited them to be part of this enterprise, but also took part in the abuse. So if you want, it's not so much a portrayal. It's not like Netflix saying, oh, you know, it looks like she might be guilty. It's not an editorial thing. It is literally the fucking survivors saying it verbatim from their own mouths on camera. So it's just a, the word portrayal there is doing a lot of work is all I'm saying. So Dershowitz has had this kind of uh, this gripe with Netflix and he's like another challenge to my false accuser. 
I challenge Geoffrey to deny that's Virginia Geoffrey, who is one of the primary accusers. Uh, she has a picture with her and Prince Andrew. It's a famous one that you might have seen. I challenge Geoffrey to deny that she told her best friend that she was pressured into accusing me by her lawyers in an effort to obtain a billion dollar settlement from the owner of Victoria's Secret. I challenge Netflix to explain why they didn't play the tape recording that confirms this. More challenges to come. To learn the truth and see the documentary evidence, read Guilt by Association, free on Kindle. And that is his new book. That challenge, the the subheading is the challenge of proving innocence in the age of hashtag me too. It's like, all right, Dershowitz. Yeah, if you abuse your spouse or a younger woman or something like that, then Alan Dershowitz wants you to know that he is the expert on getting you off. And this is a very good example of the curse that is lawyer brain. Alan Dershowitz, of course, very distinguished attorney with a long history of criminal of criminal defense. OJ! Big time. I mean, the, the list goes on. But... There is something Klaus at work von here. Klaus von Bülow. You know that one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, what he's doing here is he's, he's not entering this into any kind of established court. He is tweeting this, which is entering it into the court of public opinion. But lawyers work in a world where their words can have this like material impact. And they, a lot of these defense attorneys especially think that they can kind of wiggle themselves or even wiggle other people out of these jams using just their words, which if you go on Twitter, you will see it's a ton of people who are trying to do this sort of thing. But on Twitter, it's social media. It is dumb. It does not have any legal bearing. It just makes you look like kind of an idiot. And it reduces you, this distinguished attorney, to the level of just some jackass spouting off on Twitter. And that's really the only way to interpret this, even though he thinks it has some kind of significance because he's this big lawyer. And I think in general with these people, there's this idea that you can, that these things can be argued and that there's this objective muster of truth that, you know, that has to be met. And I, I don't know. It's just, it makes you look diseased to the average person because you are diseased. And that's definitely what's going on with Alan Dershowitz. I feel like it's implied in everything he says. Like there should be a sentence at the top of it saying like, I covered my tracks. Oh yeah. And he gets to that in another tweet of his that we pulled where he says, I hope Epstein made videos. There have been suggestions that Epstein made secret videos of all the men who had sex in his houses and planes. I hope he did, and they are all revealed because they will prove I am not among them. I hereby waive any right of privacy in Epstein videos. Again, these tweets are, like, I, I don't see how this is legally binding. I, I don't understand how this would be interpreted in any court of law. But, you know, I'm, I'm a normal human being. I'm not a trial attorney. So he's saying that if, if videos exist... Why would there be a, a wave of uh, why would he have to wave a right of privacy in videos of the sex ring? It's not like it's like he needs to sign a release for them to <laughs> like wh- what is he even saying? Is he just like throwing out jargon? I assume it's trying he's trying to just give it this veneer of legality, like I said, but I think it might be in his brain or the way it's intended is him 
really trying to show that he's like complying with the investigation somehow or because he's so sure he's not going to be he's going to be found innocent but as i said this is not introducing any kind of actual court with legal bearing this is on twitter so it doesn't it doesn't matter it's all fucking grandstanding i think it's um the same person that this would sway would also be swayed by ben shapiro spouting fake knowledge but you know fake knowledge of philosophy but using a few you know jargonic jargon like terms or something like that and uh we have to go into these replies to the tweets uh reading these out uh you just want to read it in his voice and you know like the voice when he's on fox news uh the classic clip when he's like i have just a perfect sex life um that's a lie. My wife and daughter were with me the one time I flew to the island years before Geoffrey met Epstein and years before he was suspected of wrongdoing. Show me a flight log that has me going to the island without my wife. You can't because there isn't any. Damn, he, he nailed it. And then another one. I never went to the island without my wife and I can prove it. So stop lying. The Dersh. Now, people have pointed out that it's very convenient for him to say that he went to the island with one person who could not be legally compelled to testify against him, which is his wife. But I don't know. From my standpoint, I'm like, why are you throwing your wife under the bus with you, dude? Like, this is your cross to bear. People aren't really asking for receipts on your wife, even though they probably assume that she's a pervert, too. And again, it's just when you protest too much in this case, when he hasn't really been a accused uh to my knowledge he just sort of in tangentially you know implicated again in the court of public opinion and what people think not in any kind of binding legal document he's just going a little too hard to me i'm just like you sound very guilty you sound you sound like you're trying to say why just a million reasons why there's no way you could possibly be guilty because you look guilty you know what else makes him look guilty sam uh, page six has the story Alan Dershowitz hasn't been seen at his favorite nude beach in months. This is like a few years after literally there were multiple stories in the New York Times about how Alan Dershowitz was being shunned at Martha's Vineyard, like beach parties, because he was a Trump supporter. Yes. So uh, Sam has a little personal experience with this, uh, with this story, not with Dershowitz, but well... I'm not going to go that far. Why don't you, why don't you uh, take it away here? <laughs> so, little personal stuff. My parents took me to Martha's Vineyard for summer vacation basically every year from age zero until my dad died when I was about 12. So, we would go to a wonderful beach known as Lucy Vincent Beach. And my parents multiple times spied Alan Dershowitz. Lucy Vincent Beach, which is unfairly <laughs> reduced in this page six article to Alan Dershowitz's favorite nude beach, which fucking sucks. Because <laughs> as I said, it's kind of sen- sentimental for me. I spent a lot of time at this beach as a young child with my family and I cherish those memories. And also, I, you know, Alan Dershowitz is out here challenging people. I challenge listeners to Google Lucy Vincent Beach with its magnificent clay cliffs 
and find me a nicer beach on Martha's Vineyard. You can't. It's not possible. Just like how you can't find uh, Dershowitz going to Little St. James without his without his wife, who cannot testify against him legally. But yeah, no, Lou Stevenson Beach is an exclusive beach. It allows nudity. You had to get a permit to go. I remember every year sitting and waiting for to get the permit, like the first day we landed on the island. And it's gorgeous, but it is predominantly boomers and above letting it all hang out. There's a lot of, you know, not saying everyone goes nude there, but it is allowed. And, you know, I had hippie parents, so I was subjected to plenty of, of glimpses of old naked men. And definitely at least one of them was Dershowitz. And because my parents have mentioned seeing him, of course, you know, no, no 12 year old should know who Alan Dershowitz is unless something's gone horribly wrong. Uh, unfortunately, and probably a few too many children know who he is and say, have carnal but, knowledge of him, which fucking yeah. is evil. But yeah, no, it's something that my parents, in, in since I've gotten older, learned who he was, learned why he's so heinous. It's he's someone that my mom has every time I brought him up been like, "Do you ever remember seeing him on you know Lucy Vincent Beach?" Which of course, no, I don't, because why would I know who this aging lawyer is? But <laughs> but yeah, just it's brutal for me. As soon as I saw that headline, it's like ah. Oh, fuck i know exactly what they're talking about they're like twisting the knife the last uh last uh line in the in the piece here is quote i don't see that as a movement on like on like nude sunbathing i don't see that as a movement a movement i see that as just a personal you know people there are a lot of beaches there's a lot of privacy people do what they want skinny dipping is as popular among conservatives as it is among liberals Oh my god. That's from 2001. Now, now he's not wrong. <laughs> you know what's annoying to me also is that as soon as I saw this headline, I knew there was going to be even though the article I don't know if it's intending to draw this like equivalency, I do feel like there's going to be people who read this and go, think, "Oh, he goes to nude beaches? Of course he's a pervert," which is not fair at all. <laughs> Lucy Vincent Beach, despite the nudity, very wholesome. Children are allowed. I never saw any impropriety on Lucy Vincent Beach. It's not some like secluded beach for perverts where they do. It's not Little St. James Island on Martha's Vineyard. It's not, I, to my knowledge, that is not the case. So again, poisoning these fond memories that I have from childhood. But I don't know. I, like, there's nothing wrong with going nude on Martha's Vineyard. There's a lot wrong with Alan Dershowitz. Absolutely true. And before we get into our final uh, point here, I just want to mention that Kimberly Guilfoyle, the uh, f- freakish figure who is dating Donald Trump Jr., is, uh, is positive for COVID-19 after the Tulsa rally. So we got her, we got Herman Cain, and we have at least eight Trump campaign advanced staffers with the virus after the Tulsa rally. And she also went with Trump Jr. to a party in Bridgehampton, where uh, people weren't wearing masks. So that's, that's, you know, the Hamptons, I suppose. It's clearly spreading amongst the Trump's orbit. And uh, we'll see, we'll see what will, you know, like bowling pins, who it takes out the, the coronavirus. I mean, it's okay. I want to tell the listeners, it's okay to root for these people's deaths because it's actually better for public health because these people caught it because they weren't wearing masks or taking precautions. They're ideologically committed to not take wearing masks or taking precautions. So the only way for them not to spread it, unfortunately, is for them to die. So as, as it stands, 
I am not threatening anyone. I am not like going to, there's no way I could cause any of their deaths, even if I wanted to. But like, this is what we have to root for now. We have to just hope that they all die uh, because they're not going to self-quarantine. That's true. It's for the public health for more reasons than one. plugs we want to do of course uh our composer joseph s bags follow his stuff on soundcloud at joseph s bags uh subscribe on patreon uh we are at patreon.com slash hog planet to support the show and get bonus content and that includes bonus episodes extended cuts of guest interviews and some original artwork by me that i'll figure out how to mail at some point yeah, we are not trying to just engorge our pockets with your Patreon dollars. It's mainly just to keep us help, help us keep the show running. Definitely subscribe to the Patreon. We're going to put up lots of good bonus content as time goes on. There's already plenty of stuff on there for you to find if you sign up right now. And we're going to do some full, some full-on Epstein uh, episode uh, while we're, you know, while we're kind of immersed in the story this month. Uh, we were going to definitely uh, do a, a, a Patreon episode about... Um, about the netflix documentary and updates in the case yeah lots of good stuff planned uh, sam any final words on dershowitz on the blackface school board member uh valley for change uh, i would say that the through line is obviously hogs alan dersh which is a hog dan eller is a hog the hog culture is what we're here to skewer on this show and not in a conspiracy theory dumb way but it's true, they are all connected. The thrower line in, in this is hog culture, which is honestly just capitalism. So that's what we're talking about here. That's what draws all these things together. Keep that third eye open, folks. That is uh, essential. And as always, we like to say, this is Hog Planet.